I'm Jenny Galuzzo, co-founder of The Second Shift. Welcome to our podcast where we talk all things women, work, and well-being, how they intersect, our competing forces, and how to create and maintain personal and professional alignment in your life. Let's do this. In this episode of the Second Shift podcast, I want to introduce you to the Second Shift's third partner and CFO, Kemp Stibe. So the partners are me, Gina Hadley, who you've met. She did the Featured Member podcast a few weeks ago. And now I want to introduce you to Kemp, our third partner. Kemp was an investment banker who I knew through personal relationships. And I knew that she was looking to transition out of banking and into something that had a better work-life balance and maybe just a new career move at a point in time when she had two small children and she wanted a new experience. And Gina and I convinced her to come work at the second shift, try it out, see how you like working at a startup. And that was many, many years ago. And she is an integral part of this operation. Now, in this episode, I'm not going to bore you. This isn't going to be like how the sausage is made. But I will say Kemp keeps this train on the tracks. Without her, Gina and I would be completely lost. She is so fun and smart and interesting. And I think that anyone who is in a place where they're thinking about moving and shifting careers, thinking about what they want to do next in the next chapter of their career, Kemp is such an inspiration because she really, she did it. And she talks a lot about how people who do one specific thing don't only need to box themselves into that career path, that there are lots of different options open to them, things they maybe didn't ever think were possibilities. And she is a living example of making that a reality. So I hope you enjoy Kemp as much as I do. She also does Kemp Listens, which on our social media is when she gives her podcast recommendations. So to follow along with this, I'll put up what her current podcast find is. She's constantly listening to them and she has such good taste. So you'll love that as well. This is a very special treat today because Kemp Stibe, CFO, partner of The Second Shift, all around badass finance professional and just a wonderful person is here to do our Second Shift member survey, which I think is like a good peek into who you are, your your story, your work story, how you think about work. So I'm just going to do this survey as if you were a normal person and not a partner of the second shift. Question number five, have you ever gotten a job through the second shift? Sort of. Well, since my job is at the second shift, I'm going to say yes. And I started on a sort of consulting basis and now it's full time. So I think that's a yes. And hi, happy to be here, everyone. It's true. We poached you and said, you know, you you used to work as an investment banker, but we feel that you're going to be the second shift CFO and made it happen. That's right, Jenny. I recall you were like, just try it. Just come and just try it. And I think that's what we say to a lot of members when they're contemplating working this way. Um, So clearly, Jenny, you had it in your DNA at the beginning. Okay, Kemp, tell us your work story. Who are you? What do you do? 
Well, I'm currently the chief financial officer of The Second Shift. Prior to this job, I spent over 15 years on Wall Street as an investment banker. I got a job as an analyst at Solomon Smith Barney City right out of college, where I worked in the real estate lodging and gaming group. From there, I moved on to a small boutique firm in New York called Allen & Company, where I worked in a lot of media and technology spaces, in particular, a lot of publishing, education, and new media type roles. I covered Google, I covered IAC, I sold a bunch of magazines. And then the other sort of aspect to Allen & Company is they do a lot of proprietary investing. So think of it as venture investing. And I worked with a lot of those portfolio companies quite closely and the partners who served on those boards. And I really liked working with startups. And in particular, I did a lot of education, technology, investing, and met a lot of what I call uh, sort of purpose-driven entrepreneurs. And when I left Allen, after deciding I did not want to be an investment banker when I grew up, I was really thinking about working at a startup was something I wanted to try. I thought it would be really exciting to sort of be in charge of our own destiny. And um, I really liked the idea of kind of capitalism with a purpose. So the second shift was a great fit all around on that front. We were very, very lucky to have you. What would you consider your proudest professional achievement? I'm very proud of the second shift and what we helped build here. Um, I think prior to that, You know, I saw through as a junior banker, but more senior along the way, although I was certainly not the partner in charge. We did a lot of work for Barry Diller over the years. And I worked on when he initially bought Ticketmaster, Expedia, and Hotels.com. And he initially bought 50%. He then closed those deals then spun off all of the entertainment assets and sold them to Vivendi, which was all the cable channels like the USA Network. And then he continued to buy additional e-commerce assets and spin them into a new company and do all sorts of tax-related transactions. But it was a long, long journey into what is now, you know, incredibly valuable set of, you know, multi-billion dollar public companies And I learned so much and I was really proud to be a part of all those um, transactions and write all those fairness opinions and all those guys are still doing it. So, you know, that was sort of a long and and often painful journey, but I'm really, I learned a lot and I'm really proud to have worked on all of that. Diller is truly a visionary and it was great. What a cool experience. I didn't understand many of the words that you use in that last thing, but I love that you know them. It makes me so happy. I think it's like, like, look at her go. She's so sexy talking about finance. All right. What's the hardest challenge you faced work-wise? And our instructions in the question are, please think broadly here. This can be anything from a tricky boss or colleague to whether or not to return to a job after maternity leave. I think one of the hardest things I went through, my final job at Allen & Company for the last sort of year, I moved out of investment banking and into a marketing and operations role at a hedge fund that internal. And I was not very good at that job and I didn't like it. 
And I am the kind of person, I'm sure many people listening to this podcast are like this, that I'm, you know, a consummate, you know, overachiever and I want to do everything really well and I never want to fail. And I was really unhappy and I wasn't doing a very good job. And it was very hard for me to take a moment and say, this is not what I'm good at. I need to do something different and sort of leave and figure out the next thing was really personally challenging. And I had never really been out of the workforce in any meaningful way. And I was, you know, in my 30s, it was very hard for me to have an identity that was not associated with my job. And um, it took a lot of time for me to get through that, but it was hard. I think that's something that a lot of people deal with and have to process and come to terms with the identity piece, especially ex- almost exactly when you where it was like you had your second kid and your life was really different and maybe your goals had shifted. Anyway, thank you for sharing that. What advice do you have for other women looking to make a career change who are in the same place that you were at that moment, but might be afraid or lack the confidence? And how is it on the other side? Do you ever miss or regret not being a banker? In terms of regret, I will say banking continues to pay really well. So there is always some financial regret. I think, you know, speaking particularly to the finance professionals out there, I would say that you have an incredible amount of transferable skill base. So if you are a banker, if you are an asset manager, if you are in private equity, there are a lot of different opportunities for you to use the skills that you've built, whether it's understanding sort of strategic directions for a business, um, looking five years out, building a budget, thinking through a competitive landscape from a financial perspective, All of those types of processes are often not in-house at many companies and people don't come to them with that expertise. And it's a really fun and interesting opportunity to do things and apply your skills differently. And I really recommend it. And you can always go back. And I think, you know, I worked with many people on the investment side that had gone and worked at a company, been a CFO, been in corporate development and come back to the investing world. And I think you're, you have a lot better perspective and you're going to be a better finance professional if you've gone to work at a company. And I think working to startup is also really a valuable experience for people to consider. It's really hard and really scary in many ways, because while you are captaining your own ship, you're also responsible for everyone. And, um, you know, that can be difficult, but I think it's a really valuable experience to have. Okay, this one isn't necessarily relevant to you, but in your capacity as somebody who reads a lot of pitches and sees the jobs being matched on our platform, do you have any advice for people who are pitching for jobs through our platform that you see as winning advice or things to not do, to steer away from? Yes, I do. My number one piece of advice would be to highlight in your pitch early, your direct work experience and what companies you're associated with. I think that all of these hiring managers, they have a lot of resumes to go through. And the first thing they're going to look at is, okay, you know, I've got a marketing job. Oh, this person worked at WPP 
and she did marketing for these four beauty brands. And, you know, prior to that, she was at a branding agency. Great. This is the exactly the type of person I'm looking for. And we get pitches that sort of start off with, you know, I'm Kemp and I'm a great connector and I love to be a great team member. And that's great. And I'm sure it's true. But really, I think employers are scanning for your experience. So I would lead with that and then follow with while in this job, the reason I'm perfect person for this is because in my capacity working in branding for Estee Lauder, I completed these four projects that are directly relevant to this. And this is what I bring to the table for this opportunity. And I think that is the best way to get noticed quickly. That's fantastic advice. I am going to remember that and make you write that down. Uh, What continues to draw you to your chosen field and what do you hope to accomplish in the years ahead? Well, at the second shift, our mission is getting more women working in many different capacities. I'm really proud of what we built and I think we've got more to do. And, you know, I'd like to see us, you know, putting another several thousand people into great jobs and have more employers think about working the way we work and using experts efficiently. And what is the best piece of professional advice you've ever received? One is when you walk into a meeting with somebody senior to you or partners of yours, I think walking in with incomplete thoughts is a recipe for failure. So you may have questions, but if, if you, there's a meeting topic, I think it is worth taking the time to think through exactly what your perspective is. And then maybe put more simply, another great piece of advice is when you go to talk to your boss, bring them solutions, not problems. And, you know, my husband runs a company, has run several companies, and we talk about this a lot. You know, you may walk into your boss's office with a problem that you need to discuss with them, but you need to lead with potential solutions and not a problem with incomplete thoughts associated with it. That sounds like very Mike Stab advice. And I, <laughs> and I think that's re- actually very good and efficient and smart advice, which is the hallmark of a Mike Stab piece of advice. All right. How do you negotiate the balance between life and work when you are the one setting the boundaries? By the way, that piece of advice I tried to utilize in my marriage as well as I, I tried to come to family discussions with solutions and not problems. But uh, how to balance? Look, I think it's really hard. I think it is getting easy as remote and flexible work has been embraced and we should all benefit from that. I don't think that you have to be the most perfect and present parent at all times. I really don't. I think that personally, speaking as a mom, I think there's some kids that require a lot more attention and a lot more help. And, you know, you've got to make choices. But I think that many of our kids, and I'm guilty of this too, could benefit from being left to their own devices. And it's okay if you're not home all the time and if you're not at every pickup and every drop off. I think it is important for our kids to grow up with role models that work personally. I mean, it may be controversial, but that's what I believe. All right. And if you could tell your younger self one thing about this professional journey and what it would be like, what would you tell her? 
That's a very good question, Jenny. My younger self, I think I was often quite lacking in self-confidence in professional situations, and I should have been more confident. I think there were certainly opportunities to build deeper relationships with colleagues that I worked with that I didn't do. There are certainly colleagues that I, I like very much and I'm in touch with, but there were people that were part of my professional network that I did not take the time to develop personally. And again, I think that a little bit goes back to a lack of self-confidence and I wish I had done more of that. I wish I had been better at that. Yeah, it's funny you say that. I totally agree. There are things where when I was younger, I didn't think about how important those relationships would be. And I was not good at like knowing how to dive into professional relationships or mentor relationships where you keep it going. I think maybe it's easier now because of social media, LinkedIn. I think our our kids are growing up in a much more interconnected world where they're used to it. I too was like, why would this person want to, you know, get to know me? And I didn't realize that, you know, it was on me to make that happen. I agree. And I hope that the dynamics have changed a little bit. I think, and this was true in finance. I think it was certainly true in journalism where you grew up, Jenny. And I think it's certainly true in media where there was to some extent, the stereotype was true where it is awkward to try to build mentor type relationships with older men when you are a young woman. And there were a lot of women that had to claw their way to the top in the 80s and early 90s that were not particularly receptive to those types of relationships. I think that is changing. I certainly hope that I would be more receptive to that, but I I regret that I didn't do more of it. I put it on me. And frankly, I should have done a better job of that in college too. Um, Totally agree with that. So I certainly recommend that people, you know, to the extent that you have professional relationships, develop them as you can. People really are open to it. I also think keeping those relationships because we've seen careers are long and sometimes you want to go back and you know these people are there back in your orbit. It's like there were people who were really good at it and networking at a very young age. I just was not. And I don't know if it was a self-confidence thing or it was just like, I don't know. It wasn't investing deeply into those around me, which I now am very, very good at, but I wasn't then. And it's definitely something I regret too. Okay. This is our last question, though I may think of more while we're doing doing this. How do you make work work for you? Well, at the second shift, we work flexibly. I try to be very organized in terms of what has to get done each day, each week, each month and make sure it gets done. And then also try to be organized about time when I know that I am not able to be sitting at my computer working and build things out around that. And, you know, that sounds sort of boring, but that is really how I make it work for me. And then I think you just have to be willing to be not perfect all the time at everything. And that's okay. So that's really sort of how I think about it. Um, My family is an extensive user of Google calendars and it's a very good tool as well to, to manage everything. Okay. I just have one question following up on that. Do you think that not being perfect at something is something that you've had to learn how to do? I think 
professionally, it was harder. I was working so much when I had both kids that I was never like in sort of the kind of uber present, uber plugged in kind of mom world just because I didn't have time and I was pretty oblivious to it. But, you know, I think it's hard for many women in our sort of place in life, but I think it's good to have friends and colleagues that are forgiving and to understand that you don't have to be perfect all the time. And I think that's, there's some wisdom of age in that as well. It's harder when your kids are littler and you're newer in your career, it gets easier. Thank you, Kemp. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you so much for joining the conversation. For more, you can follow along at thesecondshift.com. Please rate, review, subscribe, and help us make work work for you and for all women. 